0: Riverhead Books presents Marlon and Jake Reed Dead People, a podcast with Marlon James and Jake Morrissey. There is
1: something very rich in tearing a book
0: apart. I don't want to spend my eyeballs on these 300 pages.
1: You really don't have to read any novel. Except maybe
0: Moby Dick. I'm stunned hearing you say that. The first book
1: I got was Journal of a Plague Year.
0: The feel-good book of the pandemic, ladies and gentlemen. I know.
1: I'm a reverse size queen when it comes to (laughs) literature, I guess.
0: Okay, I love this more and more. Hey there. I am the the cute one. I'm Jake Morrissey. And welcome to another thrilling episode of Marlon and Jake Read Dead People. Um, Marlon is here, of course, and so am I. And we're ready to talk some more about dead authors and their books.
1: So if you're the cute one, what am I?
0: You're the handsome one. How about that? Or the smart one.
1: Oh, I was just going by Beatles references because I'm (laughs) definitely not the quiet one. (laughs) So this time we want to talk about um, unreliable narrators, which is a, a very, very fun and interesting topic and something I've thought about quite a bit. Actually, as somebody who writes mostly first-person narrators, and you know these are the characters who tell the stories you're reading that you're not quite sure if you should believe them. And I would add that there are different reasons why you don't believe them. Yes, but there are also novels where you don't realize until too late that you shouldn't believe them.
0: Well, that that was my first question to you because I've read a bunch of these in preparation for this, mm-hmm. and I'm re- and obviously some oh, many of yours as well. What do you think actually makes a good re- a good unreliable narrator as for as both as a writer and as a reader
1: i think a good unreliable narrator is somebody who you absolutely cannot trust but you can't stop listening to and i think because just because what they're saying is untrustworthy the details could be true um it's like if you and i walk in a room and somebody's gobbling a bag of chips i will go oh my god that guy was starving and you go oh my god what a glutton right Right. I mean, the
0: physical details are the same, but the choice of how you present that mm-hmm. information is key.
1: Yeah. And I think it becomes fascinating when you're seeing
0: how people choose to see. Well, as a writer yourself, how so you, with unreliable narrators, you're choosing to tell us, tell the reader the story that you want us to to read or understand. How much leeway are you willing to give us?
1: So when you, when you said, I mean, leeway to to understand. Well, in other words, for,
0: if, in other words, when when it gets to the point where if I'm reading something mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, oh wait a minute, this, am I supposed to trust her, him, mm-hmm. they, whatever, um, and or is it just you want us to go along and along with your sense of what you want us to think about these characters and the situations they're in? I think it's it, it's a combination. I think. For example, the the narrator
1: where you don't learn until too late that you can't trust them. Well, uh, well, too late being what? Too late could be in the middle of the story. Too late could be sometimes, sometimes
0: even near the end of it. Well, that but sometimes that's intentional. I mean, I'm thinking of you know the the uh, there are unreliable narrators in murder Mystery, mysteries mm-hmm. where you think, oh yeah, I shouldn't have trusted all of the stuff that I read mm-hmm. or that the, this character said about me.
1: I think the thing about it is. It's not as it's not as how much you're willing to lead the the reader, but how much are you willing to play on their instinct to
0: trust you? Okay, so you're okay, so you frame you frame how they want mm-hmm. how you want the reader to embrace the character or or I guess what I'm wondering is where does your decision making as a writer go into these characters? and where is and are you do you expect the reader to meet you halfway kind of?
1: I'm not sure because I lo-
0: we- I love unreliable narrators because yeah. I I want to be I want I want to be smart enough mm-hmm. to know where I, that I'm being played or or, yeah. being, or I'm being fooled.
1: But the funny thing about unreliable narrators is that unreliable narrators assumes that they are reliable narrators, and 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 I think we take it as a default position of literature that that narrators are reliable. And one of the things that I realized re- reading a lot of African stories, and reading a lot of African folklore is that all the narrators are unreliable. You take it as a given that you can't trust who's telling you the story. And, and when you go back to not just African, but oral storytelling, if you are, this is before people were even le- knew how to write, you take it as a given that you can't totally trust the person telling you a story. So, the whole idea of re, even that a narrator should be reliable, I always wondered if it's, if, if it's actually good old Christianity showing up again, <laughs> where we think because somebody's telling a story, there's some authority there. Right, right. Which is not to knock any of it, but it's, it was interesting going back to non Western forms and realizing that unreliability is what's taken for granted.
0: Right, right. And
1: reliability is
0: new or fresh. Well, somebody once – or I read somewhere uh, people were talking about uh, – or the, the reference is you – you know, um, two people stand in front of a mirror and the reflection they see is true but it's from a different angle. Mm-hmm. So depending on how you approach reading a, uh, a story being told by a character – or, or different people or whatever. It all depends on the kind of where you come from in some ways or how, where you coming from and, and also what the, what the angle that the, that the author wants us to wants us to at least look at before we before we make our, our decisions.
1: You know the, the, the unreliable narrator who doesn't realize they're being unreliable, there is this hope the reader have that eventually they'll see it. Yes. And I think
0: that's one of the things we hang on to even when they go way off course. All right. This is good because this leads to my next question to, for you is, because I have opinions, obviously. What? Give me an example of an, of an unreliable narrator that you liked to read.
1: Pip, In Great Expectations. Okay. We're going there now. Okay. All right. I'll
0: be quiet and let you talk. All right.
1: Well, because I think Pip means well, and you have no reason to doubt him at the beginning of this book. But then he starts to make these value judgments. Um, you know, okay. it's he starts to, you know, he starts to, and and I understand it. You know, if if a world of of say poverty or so on is normal to you, you have no reason to think anything of it. Mm-hmm. But once you see something else, and you start to wonder why you aren't that way, or why were you born into this, or why why can't people be proper or blah blah blah, then that starts to change how you see things. So even though our view of Joe – got to hope his name is Joe because I, I, I haven't checked the book. Um, even though his, his – his, his, let's call him adoptive dad even though he's not his dad.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, our view of him never changes. His view does.
0: Yes, so so are you saying it's an it's an accumulation of knowledge on the part of the on the part, on Pip's part?
1: It's knowledge, but it's also a good example of how knowledge can be a dangerous thing, or knowledge and, and ignorance can right. go hand to hand because he starts to make these value judgments, and then he, he his life goes way off course mm-hmm. because his judgment completely starts to falter. Although we see the we, we see it straight on, we never trusted Miss Havisham, right? We never trusted Stella. We never gave up on on I really wanna call this guy Joe. Next thing I hear somebody who said his name is John. <laughs> I cannot remember <laughs> the uncle's name. Um you know, it's it's even to the even to the, the you know, the um the inability to see that, you know. I'm not going to spoil it because I know there are people who haven't read this novel. Oh, yet. I will
0: totally spoil Great Expectations <laughs> for anybody who wants me to. But we're, that's okay. Oh. This, this, is your, this is your story to tell here. No, I mean, I, you're right in the sense that the older Pip gets or the more understanding he, he has about the world he's in or embracing or whatever, you start to wonder, okay, is this guy, do I believe this guy? Mm-hmm. Or, do believe, or, or do I believe the conclusions he's drawing? Mm-hmm. Which is fair. Which is totally fair.
1: Yeah, so it's uh, it's an unremarkable narrator who I understand.
0: Do you sympathize with him? Yeah. Okay, that's, that's where I'm going to have to ask you to leave. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> okay, but that's uh, well, you know my views on Grand Expectations, mm-hmm. but um, okay, I am um, I, I I get that. I think.
1: Why don't you sympathize with him?
0: I just I think these people are just not very interesting, mm-hmm. and I and the whole mis anyway. We can, we can do a whole episode. On oh my, my God, pro- you
1: should watch the TV show Dickensian. I watched two episodes and as far as I could get. <laughs> they have these, pre. the, the person tries to imagine the pre-lives of all these Dickens characters and they all live
0: near each other. In some kind of charming but creepy yeah. uh, combination of London, small British town.
1: Yeah, you know, um, Havisham is about to be conned. She hasn't been conned yet. But she's a feisty Victorian <laughs> no, gentle lady. No, no, totally. and 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 Magwitch is is small time. Oh wow! Bill See, Sykes is kind of hot.
0: <laughs> yeah, Bill Sykes, the sociopath murderer, is I mean, kind of hot.
1: I mean, he has a scar the size of a telephone ha, <laughs> telephone thing going along his face, but he's he
0: is He seems a nice fellow. That's thought Bill could get it. Do you think it was an intentional that Dickens did this in terms of – because it's it was published episodically, right? Mm-hmm.
1: I think so because I think Dickens would take it as a compliment that he had no problem manipulating his reader.
0: Well, that's – yeah. That's part of the sort of Victorian yeah. charm, if you will. If yeah.
1: Right. and um, But I don't think he was screaming at it. But I think there are times where he makes you fall for a character – and
0: then become just so disappointed in them. Yes, that's true. That's true. I have um I want to talk about some other Dickens characters in, down the road here, mm-hmm. but but um uh I think I'm I think I've had enough of great expectations <laughs> right now. Do you have somebody else you want to um do you wanna share? Or so, do you want me to do you want me to jump yeah, in?
1: Yeah, let's throw back and forth.
0: All right. I wanna talk about Alex in um, a Clockwork Orange. That's a great choice. Yeah, Alex is it. Well, diff- it's difference between the the, the book and the and the movie. I'm talking about the 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 book. Alex is actually a teenager in the book. He's a 15 year old sociopath who happily, happily, rapes and assaults and basically steals and generally causes mayhem in this kind of dystopian England. Um, and he knows it's wrong. He admits it's wrong. But he says, um, "God, I wrote it here, down here. Um, You can't have a society with everybody behaving in my manner of the night." But Mm -hmm. he happily, he's happy to sort of, you know, um, literally um, uh, do exactly what he wants um, and and make everybody's life sort of a living hell. Obviously, he's eventually he's arrested and put through the system in this dystopia where he is. Um, psychologically manipulated into thinking that violence is bad. It's literally gives them um, makes him sick to a stomach. But this, so it's 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 a book that we when he says this, what he, when he says what he what he says and does and why he's sort of behaving the way he is as he goes through the evolution. Of what happens to him, you start to think. All right, I'm not exactly sure whether or not what he's saying what he what the what he's saying to the reader is if he's telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, is one of the things that Anthony Burgess, the the author, I think, does well. This is a, this is a story about the consequences of immorality, or at least amorality, and sort of why it how how society how society deals with people who are. Who are violent? Who are unrepentant? Who are immoral, intentionally so? And what that means to sort of how we are trying to deal with them over the course of the novel.
1: Hmm. So is he unreliable or just immoral?
0: Well, he is unreliable in the, in the sense that he's the stuff he says, which in a lot of ways sounds sort of happy and sort of carefree, and you're mm-hmm. kind of like, wait a minute, you're not. You know what you're telling me is horrible. Mm -hmm. And yet you kind of, as you said earlier about Pip, you kind of like him Mm -hmm. um, or at least find him weirdly appealing, Mm -hmm. which makes me think, okay, what does that say about me as the as the observer or as the reader?
1: But does it say that an unreliable narrator for an unreliable narrator to work, he or she has to charm you?
0: Okay, that's a good question because I actually don't think you have. I don't think you have to be charmed, but I think mm-hmm. charm is one of the one of the weapons in the arsenal of the upper un- unreliable narrator. I mean, also are,
1: in the arsenal of a sociopath.
0: Absolutely, though. and in fact, yeah. And the, I mean, the thing about the, the these. I mean, we can we can't talk about some unreliable narratives by authors who are still living, but I mean, the idea that you can um, you can be charming and horrifying simultaneously, depending on. Depending on what the reader knows about you, I think, mm-hmm. and also what kind of conclusions the reader may draw from your behavior or what you say to the other characters, mm-hmm. do you think you, as a reader, are because you're a widely a wide-ranging reader, are you more sort of suspicious of? I mean, when you open the book, are, in other words, when does it take you? When does how are you are you easily drawn in, or are you more are you more standoffish because you've read so much of these kinds?
1: of I'm sort easily drawn in. And I think because I want to be.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Because I, I want to be drawn in, and I and I think I also want to believe. But I also think because I've read, you know, I've read, quite frankly, I think too much. That <laughs> okay. I, I, you can I'd never start...
0: be re, you can never be was it too yeah, thin, but too I, rich, <laughs> or read too much?
1: But I start to think that oh, they're just human. Everybody is like that. Everybody's everybody, everybody, to an extent, lies and projects. Because um, it made me think of two characters who usually make this list of unreliable, who I mm-hmm. no longer think are unreliable. Who are um, Mary Kate in We Have Always Lived in the Castle? Okay, I actually don't think she's unreliable at all. She's off a rocker.
0: Well, what I I, I, okay. I will agree with you. She, I mean, first of all, one of the great American characters.
1: Absolutely, but she is not lying.
0: No, but what she's doing is withholding all the information.
1: She's withholding I will get okay, she
0: has carefully parsed out what she's going to tell you. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I, will, I will
1: still say there's different between lying.
0: Well that no that's yeah, the thing. I mean well, is an unreliable narrator a liar? Mm. Sometimes. Yes. I think I think that's I think that's as only as far as you can go. And sometimes
1: some, sometimes. I think sometimes they also don't know they're lying. Exactly. Um but to me, and the other person who I I used to think of, but I don't anymore, is Chief in One food Over the Cuckoo's Nest.
0: Now is he, and he's the he's the guy telling the story. He's the
1: guy telling the story. Yes, and yes, he is medicated, and he is he he. he you get a feeling, yes, he is schizophrenic and so on. But also because everybody underestimates them, he gets to hear
0: all the gut truths nobody yes. else is hearing. Yes, yeah, he's literally standing there absorbing and listening to everything mm-hmm. that everybody's saying.
1: And, I, and, and there are two characters who I'm like, eh, I'm not so sure they're that unreliable.
0: Well, that's really interesting, because the idea of being able to sort of tell your story the way you want to tell it, leaving out information or mm-hmm. not not sharing the information or just being somebody almost, almost um, you know, like Chief, somebody who is there, who is either overlooked or the drama is happening around, who's mm-hmm. paying attention... The the one floor of the cuckoo's nest, I think, obviously has a great character, or characters, and in, in a in a very enclosed place like the, you know, the, the mm-hmm. mental ward. So the idea of who gets to tell this story, and then you sort of start to um, wonder, all right, how would somebody who was not in who was not in this ward mm-hmm. be tell this story differently? And the answer, of course, is yes. And and what you're saying is, chief is not chief is not as for lack of a better term crazy as everybody else.
1: Right. Is. And he doesn't have an agenda to lie to you.
0: Oh, that's a good point. The ag- the whole idea of what the agenda mm. is, what are, what are the reasons for your your life. Mm. Well, that goes back to to Mary Cat and mm. and we've always lived in the castle. She's got an agenda, boys and girls. Yes. <laughs> she's got <laughs> she's got stuff she needs to uh she needs to uh, deal with. But um but it's interesting that those two are very different in the mm. sense that they are But they're both telling their story on their terms,
1: and they're both classified as mentally not there. Um, So, I I was going to jump to my second choice. So, this is actually not that I'm ranking anything, but for for I still in in many ways consider this the best unreliable narrator I've
0: read. Okay,
1: and the novel is The Good Soldier by Ford Maddox Ford. Oh, that's a
0: good choice. I hadn't thought of that. John Dowell,
1: that's who I always use as my go-to. You want to read
0: unreliable. (laughs) You want unreliable, he's the man.
1: Also, because I love reasons to laugh at the, at the early at the military. Century. No, the, I was going to say the oh, British. The Brits. True, true. I, you know, it's not not contemporary British people, don't come for me. But well, people like, you know, on the vestiges of, of rural Britannia. And John Doyle is telling this story, and poor John, what a jackass.
0: <laughs> okay, I can't believe you actually. <laughs> you have you know the punch of him being a jackass but you feel pity for him i
1: actually do feel pity for him because i'm at <laughs> this fool i was like among the men you know so so good soldier opens up and it presents john and it presents the good soldier of the 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 the, the book who is edward and uh, john's marriage and edward's marriage are kind of on the skids but it's still presented in this kind of very you know sort of you know, kind of uh, not. Um, I was going to say almost Downton Abbey, but I've never actually
0: watched that show. <laughs> then that maybe that's not a good example. No, for I was
1: going to say Gosford Park, or so you know, and so on. And it's only you realize—is he the only person who doesn't realize his wife is cheating on him?
0: Okay, yes. And that's just the beginning. <laughs> but wait, there's more.
1: So this novel was initially called the saddest story ever I've ever told. Um, somebody had the good sense to change it to The Good Soldier, which is a far better title. Much better title. Much better but title. But I get the whole, but, but the saddest story ever told has, is not is the one that John can't tell, which is, it's almost as if, you know, I remember I read, I read Foresight Saga, and I'll give Soames one thing, he sees everything. Well, mostly everything.
0: Well, he sees a lot. Mm-hmm. What he does is come to the worst conclusions.
1: Yeah. But... John doesn't see shit. <laughs> John, open your eyes, John. And his eyes are so wide open. <sighs> but it's such a, you know, Francis Ford is not given his due, I think as a writer. I haven't
0: I have not read as much of him as I should.
1: I, you know, The Fifth Queen is is to me, you know, one of the rare really great Henry VIII novels.
0: It's about Catherine Howard. It's
1: about Catherine Howard.
0: Okay. Um okay. Who uh,
1: yeah, it's a fantastic novel. Well, it's a series of small novels, it's bunched together now as the fifth queen. And Parades End, if you must read a long thing, maybe not read Dance to the Music of Time, go read Parades End. But but The Good Soldier, I think, the way in which it's it so wonderfully chronicles the failure of these relationships by a narrator who's absolutely incapable of chronicling the failure of relationships. <laughs> <laughs> okay fair, enough,
0: fair and, enough and
1: and and fools are, and are – and 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 lord I mean reader somebody had today somebody had to commit suicide for people to see
0: <laughs> what was really it happens to it happens boys and girls
1: it, it happens. happens but it's fun when it happens to the prestigious British well
0: and also it, it also I mean what what fascinating me is is it it not always but it's often a surprise mm-hmm. oh I had no idea yeah like, how could you not? How could you not have any idea? And
1: then I've met some people, you know, I'm old enough to have met people who are around in this time. Yeah, they're like that. Are they really? They really don't have a clue.
0: Uh, It's almost like being sort of surprised that, you know, you need to, I don't know. Put a car in gear to go to go ahead. I mean it's in other words, the whole sort of whole sense of how the world works. But they don't have a
1: sense of how the world works. And what's one of the things that you But they've see... survived
0: for so long without having to know them. Yeah.
1: One of the things you see in a lot of novels that are not unreliable narrators, like if you read um Funny Enough, we're gonna talk about Ford Maddox Ford, let's talk about Jean Reese, because they had an affair, which both know, wrote about. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, good good after even Mr. Mackenzie's, all about Ford Maddox Ford. <laughs>
0: Okay, I'm going to have to go back to that one.
1: But the thing about, we are brought up, reason why I brought up Jean Rees and and her characters and and Ford Max Ford's characters, is that it's almost as if the 20th century blindsided them, because they were raised in a way to be 19th century people to be taken care of. Yeah, you know? I don't think these people ever knew knew that how to flush a toilet.
0: Well, I can remember somebody going visit. Is a this is many years ago going to visit. Um, Going on to, uh, through the on the tour at Blenheim Palace in England, and somebody saying that the Duke of the Duke of Marlborough didn't know how to. Put toothpaste on his toothbrush one day when his valet forgot to do it. And he's like, "This toothbrush is broken." It's like, mm-hmm. "How can you live in the world?" And then you realize, "Oh yeah, the world that you're living in is so designed to make everything simple for you mm-hmm. that the mere act of life is not so, is not the same thing that the rest of us have to go through."
1: Yeah, yeah. But even so, it doesn't ex- necessarily excuse John Doyle being so emotionally adolescent. And I think it's it's it's. But it's it, to me, it's it's such a great example. Of how the the, the the you read you read the good sword and you go you know you're not the person who should be telling us this story. No, do not tell. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's true. That's true. That actually that's interesting to say that because there have been a couple of novels and a couple or a couple of stories where I'm wondering, are you the? I actually wonder if I should have if you if you other character should have mm-hmm. told this story. Then now I wonder about somebody like, well, this is a not you. You continue it, but I'm wondering mm-hmm. like Huck Finn was mm-hmm. he the guy who should have told that story?
1: I mean, I could just jump into Huck Finn because that was my third chance. Oh, God. I'm I'm a genius, ladies and gentlemen. That's why you're the editor. (laughs) Please, please tell us. I actually do think, and and I've read read Finn, which is Huck Finn told from basically the dad.
0: Oh, my God. I didn't know there was such a
1: Yeah, it's not a pleasant read, and trust me, the author will take that as a compliment. (laughs) And I'm not even being I'm actually, I'm actually giving him a compliment because Huck's dad was monstrous. And yes. he remains monstrous in that novel. But well, we can't talk about that author because he's alive. Exactly. Um, at least I need to hope so. Knockwood somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's. So I'm saying that there have been other approaches, and 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 as somebody who has done this, studied this in literature, the academic ver- the academic work on this book, including Huck and Jim are homosexuals on the run because they have an affair. Oh
0: my God! Oh, that really?
1: Was, that was a fun essay. <laughs> I didn't write it. <laughs> Uh, but what I'm saying is, I've seen, I've read rather, all these different perspectives on who should tell that story. And it made me conclude Huck is a person to tell that story. All
0: right. I guess my question is is he, okay, if he's the right person, and I'm, I don't, I don't think I disagree, but I'm, anyway, but is, is, is he, does he tell it right? No. That's what I thought. I, I he agree. doesn't
1: tell it, but, but, but. If when this novel came out, half of America would have said he told it right.
0: Okay, and well, they would
1: have an issue with his conflicts near the end of it, because they're going. Of course, you're supposed to be conflicted about helping a slave. It should be nagging at your conscience that you're letting the slave go with you.
0: But you're all. It's also being written by, you know, a, a white, a successful white American author, mm-hmm. who essentially can write whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to listen to it, what he had. Anyway, my, 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 I'm, I'm actually, I actually wanted more from the other characters in that. Yeah. I, for my money, Tom Sawyer's better.
1: Yeah, we, we've
0: been here with you. I know, I'm sorry. I don't mean to repeat myself.
1: <laughs> but, I mean, but, but Huck touches on things that we've talked about so far in his podcast. Huck charms you from the first sentence.
0: Well, we go back to charm again.
1: Yeah, it's like, you know, you wouldn't know me if you haven't read this book. Tom, sorry, but that ain't no matter. I'm like, <laughs> all right, I'm here. I'm in. Okay. Especially the age I read it. I read it when I was, let's see, I was, what, 15? Okay. That's what I wanted. I, I couldn't believe this was on the lit paper.
0: Oh, because it was, it was so not what you expected? No, because the book before it was Middle March. <laughs> okay. A little different. Yeah, and
1: before that, uh, what was it before?
0: Oh, Tess. Wow, you um, yeah, it was a uh, it was it was a breath of fresh air. Yeah, so on you, that you, you
1: can imagine getting to hook fin after those two sunny right. novels,
0: Dorothea Brooks, She's a lot of fun,
1: and Tess. Wow, yeah, right? That because she's a golden girl before her time. <laughs> it's just not a dish. I adore that novel. I, I was I love *Middle March, Let me say, I'm talking about Tess. I know. Um, I'm I'm not. <laughs> But what I was saying about, so there there is no escaping the charm. Huck is one of the all-time charmers. Um, yes, he doesn't hold a candle to, talk to Tom Sawyer because he could charm you into doing his work for totally. him. Totally, I've tried that, actually, and it did work.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Good for you.
1: I, I, I remember it, like having to paint something, and I'm like, I'm going to do what Tom Sawyer did. And I actually got my neighbors to paint the wall for me.
0: genius. Good for you.
1: So there you go, Tom Sawyer.
0: How to win friends and influence people.
1: Mm-hmm. But, you know, so Huck also, through his ignorance and also through his upbringing and also through the fact that this is a kid who literally was raising himself mm-hmm. and a lot of the hard truths that sometimes people teach you he had to learn, mm-hmm. that you realize that, even though he's making things clear, you can't trust him. You know you can't trust the Duke or the Dauphin, whatever you call him, in which version you read. But he—why
0: wouldn't he trust them? Okay. See, I think he should know better because he didn't trust. I mean, as you say, he grew up in a world that—I mean, well, I'm—I'm I'm talking plot mechanics here. Mm. But anyway. But you're okay. Go ahead. So you think you think he's
1: so he grew up in a world where he
0: has seen
1: people at their worst. But I also think that makes you more desperate that the next person would be better. Because I, you know, just seeing the, the, the kind of, you know, hope you see sometimes in kids who have been through shit. Mm-hmm. They keep hoping, the, but the next person or the next foster parent or the next such and such.
0: And they put all this hope in next. That's really interesting. The idea of, of The idea of hope, how that sort of, how that never dies in mm-hmm. some people. And yeah. some people it's never there.
1: Yeah. Um, So yeah, and and Huck, of course, has, uh, has, you know, Huck learns and Huck grows, and I'm not necessarily trusting that growth that much either. He's sort of, you know, he, I didn't read, I read Greg Expectations a little time after this, and I was like, oh, so this is Pip with humor.
0: Um okay okay I mean I do like Huck Finn better than Great Expectations.
1: I think you like a lot of novels better than Great Expectations.
0: I, I, I like a lot of things I've written better than <laughs> Great Expectations but that's a whole other conversation. But that's interesting that you that you are sort of see the see have made the connection between Pip and, and Huck. I mm-hmm. I hadn't made that's interesting. That's interesting. Because when you talk about hope the thing about the thing about um that that I think is at least for me is the is the sort of sense that seems very we we want that in mm-hmm. in our characters, and I think sometimes when you don't get it, you're kind of like you're waiting. It's almost like you're watching. You're waiting for the car crash to come because mm-hmm. you know it's going to. Because mm-hmm. I I was one of the things that, I, that occurred to me is that when we were talking about unreliable narrators, in the is the is the unnamed narrator in, narrator in um the Telltale Heart, mm-hmm. the Edgar Allan Poe, yeah, Poe. Sto, for the post story, and it's basically it's the story of a crazy man. Who's trying to convince us, or convince the reader, that he's not crazy, mm-hmm. um, as he murders and buries this old man, and it's it's sort of a an exercise in kind of bad, you know, kind of legal wangling almost. It's sort of like I'm trying mm-hmm. to convince you that you are, you know, that I, that you know, he sort of, you know, needs to go, and it's a good idea that this happens, and then he sort of starts to hear this sort of low. Thumping, and he realizes, or thinks it is, that he's, um, you know, it's the old man's still beating heart, and you realize, oh yeah, again, yeah, this guy, this guy just went over the edge. Not just, but mm-hmm. he's been over the edge. So the idea that there is that you sort of that the that the re, the narrator is hoping that you'll buy into whatever the story that the narrator is telling you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I always kind of find it, as you say, maybe I kind of. I always kind of want to see how the trick is done. Want to, maybe that's my my editor's hat, but it's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, I want to see how he did it. Did he succeed? Oh yeah, this guy is nuts. <laughs> this guy is crazy. But on the other hand, it's well enough done so that you think, okay, I'm on board. I'm on board. I don't know. I mean, it, anyway, the the and that's a short story. Um, another story that I that that is not short. Um, and is frankly don't read it all boys and girls if, you, if you're if you interested at all is Tristam Shandy why shouldn't they read it oh my god it's nine volumes long <laughs> it's, it's they got time <laughs> we're in the middle of a pandemic they got, what are you gonna
1: do they don't have time they can't play Wordle all day
0: <laughs> But this guy, it's, it's, you know, yes, it's episodic. It's, you know, it's, it's peripatetic. It's, you know, it's, it's a, it's picaresque. It's all the sort of, you know, lit class words you want to use, but it's a story basically about a clown. And he, the, he makes a jokes after joke, after joke in volumes one through nine about how unreliable the sto- everything he does and says um, is not true and turns out not to be true. And that's where the humor comes out comes. And that's, I think that's, I I liked it in small doses. Mm-hmm.
1: I recommend that book a lot because I teach college kids. And college kids love to talk about this great abstract meta, mm-hmm. whatever novel that they read, which they think is inventing
0: something in literature. Okay, kids. Over here, Tristam Shannon. Said,
1: Why don't you pick up this one? Yeah, it's some new guy. He's like a hipster dude. He's from Brooklyn. Yeah, just re- yeah, just Yeah, it's a fake name. Go read it. And I, oh my God, it's so meta! Oh my God, it's like yeah, it, it, that shit ain't new.
0: Right, it's 18th century. <laughs> it's 18th century. That's true. Well, I mean, I, I, it's it, I, it's not easy to read, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's what I liked about it for this topic is that it does exactly where you you're, you're kind of like, oh yeah, he's not he's making up this stuff as he goes along mm-hmm. and amplifying and expanding or contracting or throwing things in or adding or taking things away. So it's it's kind of a um, it's one long 18th century riff is really what it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're on board, great. I, I, anyway, I liked it to, to, um, to a point. Let's put it that way. All right. The last one I want to mention is not really an unreliable narrative, but it goes back to um, one of the sort of fundamental um, uh, authors of this podcast, Shirley Jackson. She mm-hmm. wrote a, a short story called Charles, and it's the story of this uh, mother in a small town, who sends her son, Lori, to kindergarten for the first time. And, you know, he goes off and he he's, it's so great, he comes back and he's like, yeah, I'm really, really, it's really fun, but there's this kid named Charles in the class, who's just as, he was really naughty today. You know, he, you know, tripped up this girl, or he had to stay inside at recess because he was misbehaving, and so they would hear these sort of regular stories about Charles, and then the, um, the, the mother and the father sort of start wondering who this who this Charles character is and who his parents must be. And the mother ends up going to a PTA meeting and the husband says, okay, make sure you find Charles's mother. Cause we need to have her come over. Cause we want to find out who this sociopath is. Mm. And, um, you know, so so the mother comes to the PTA meeting and sees and sees Lori's teacher and said, Oh you know, oh and the teacher's like, Oh, Lori's great, he's he's such a pleasure to have in class. You know, it's taken a minute or two to settle down, but he's doing fine and, and the, the the mother's like, Well, it must have been you know, I'm sure having Charles in the class was a problem too And the in the 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 teacher like we don't have any uh, anybody named Charles in the kindergarten, so the sort of unreliable narrator, mm-hmm. if you will, is the kid who mm-hmm. is pretending that the bad kid was some guy na- was some kid named Charles. And but the difference is it's funny. It's mm-hmm. sort of you know it's kind of lighthearted. It
1: it's, oh, because I was getting the chills right here when you started saying that. <laughs> And then
0: the machete came out, and and that's. I'm like, this is Shirley Jackson. (laughs) Exactly, this is when things take a turn. But this is very much Shirley Jackson and her kind of, you know, uh, uh, pre Irma Bombek kind of uh, sort of fun. Woman's magazine sort of story, but it's it, it, the 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 unreliable the 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 it's less of an unreliable narrator is an unreal. In other words, the 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 narrator of the story is being told an unreliable narrative mm-hmm. by another character. So it's a little bit like you know the the mother gets tripped up by the 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 prevarications that the, her son, her kindergarten age son, future Bill Sykes sociopath coming mm-hmm. to coming to you, and so it's it's kind of a nice sort of light. Um, take on the unreliable re- narrator without it sounding, you know, without it being dark or turning mm-hmm. on some sort of horrible, horrible event. Mm-hmm.
1: I was thinking about that unreliable narrative, but the story's funny.
0: That's, I think it's tricky. I think it's trickier to pull off. Yeah. Because a lot of the, a lot, well. Because they're unreliable characters like Don Quixote. Exactly. Exactly. And And intentionally so, mm-hmm. but it's, that's also a hard. That's hard to read. Mm-hmm. Have you read the it recently? Not recently. Okay. It's it, I mean, there are long books that are worth the effort, hmm. and then there are books that cry out.
1: Are you Are you literally about to say that Don Quixote is not worth the effort? No, no,
0: no. I think it's worth the effort. But my point oh, good, is,
1: because I was, I said, don't fan my address, fan no, his. No,
0: <laughs> no, My point is, some of this is, is is particularly for something like Don Quixote is that uh, finding finding a finding a translation you like or Mm -hmm. that works for you, I think, is important. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. I want to also bring up, um, I know we've talked about this before in the podcast, but the narrator, the unnamed narrator in Rebecca, Mm. the Daphne du Maurier novel. It's a story of a of a young woman who meets and quickly marries a kind of complicated, um, uh, uh, rich British guy who who has this house in Cornwall called Manderley, um, and sort of the backstory of what happens to, what happened to him and his first wife, a woman named Rebecca, that the novel's named after. So this the 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 unnamed narrator of the story kind of creates these. The the sort of as the story goes, um, she's young, she's inexperienced, she doesn't quite know what she's getting into, but sort of these fantasies about sort of the world that she's living in um, or what she thinks the world she thinks she's living in when she gets to Manderley and is the mistress of this huge house, and there's a huge staff with a you know, maybe one of the great villains in in uh, in kind of British literature in Mrs. Danvers, the housekeeper, um, and sort of basically, we don't really know anything about um, the narrator's backstory before we meet her. We don't know where she comes from. We know she doesn't have any family, but it's sort of like, well, wait a minute, where? And we we know a lot more about the other characters in the mm-hmm. novel, e- including the dead Rebecca so what the narrator thinks and what she knows seems to be open to interpretation from the reader's point of view and that as as the novel progresses and it starts to it starts to dawn on the reader that there's more to more to what's going on than both the the narrator understands and the reader realizes you start to you start to come to the conclusion that the that the that the narrator the new mrs de winter is as surprised or as unaware of what's going on as mm. the reader is.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, my friend Teddy, who will be very delighted that this is the third time I'm mentioning him in this podcast, <laughs> thought this was the greatest novel. He was, like, ordering me to read it. Now, had he not read it? The, well, he would read it and then told me, like, you have to read Rebecca.
0: Now, was this was this like when you were grown ups or when you were No kids? no
1: like if you did like like maybe a year
0: ago. Okay, because I would have imagined you would have come across Rebecca over the course of your uh meeting yeah. life.
1: And wasn't there a movie with Cary Grant in it?
0: Uh it was um not it Joan was, Fontaine was Joan in Fontaine in it. and Lawrence Olivier.
1: Laurence Olivier. I didn't get to the end of that movie because I was like six. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's a real shock when the aliens come down. That's all I can say. It's amazing. You know, the intergalastic space. Why, space
1: why, a, why are aliens still a shock? People. people Didn't you all read Communion? It's like...
0: <laughs> now, it's, it'll, it would be interesting, not that you have a lot of free time, but it would be interesting to hear you having read it if you read it as a grown-up. Because somebody who has a lot more sort of, you know, sophistication, both as a sort of person and as a writer, to sort of see how it's constructed. It would be
1: interesting because the last Demore novel I read was Jamaica Inn. Which I liked, but mm-hmm. I read it years ago.
0: Right. The thing, the thing about the thing about Rebecca, it's a very, it's a very clever um, literary trick she pulls because the narrator literally is not named through 400 pages, 450. Mm-hmm. Pages. So it's always about darling or mm-hmm. you there or and and it, and it's and it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel forced, or at mm-hmm. least it didn't when I read it the last time. So it's the so sort of basically. The author is intentionally withholding information from the mm-hmm. reader and the narrator, the second Mrs. DeWinter, is also sort of looking at this world in a very sort of skewed way. And you think, OK, um, I don't actually know what it is that I – what actually is saying here. Mm-hmm. So it's a mm-hmm. – and, and it's, a, it's a novel and I know I spend too much time talking about plot. But this is a novel that marries character and plot I think particularly effectively. As opposed to being all about character or just all, all about, about plot. plot. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs>
0: so Teddy likes this. Mm-hmm. Has he seen any of the? I mean, has he seen the movie version of it as well? I
1: don't think so. Okay, so I but, think there was a recent miniseries. I think there was too, which I've
0: mm-hmm. not seen. But I mean, the the it's sort of interesting to me to hear somebody who kind of stumbled across this book mm-hmm. in the you know. In the 21st century, he's like, "Oh, you got to read this." No, he
1: reads everything. Well, good so. for Tut,
0: good for Teddy, yeah, good he, for K- he, he reads everything. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> well, is there anybody? Is there any other? Is there any other unreliable narrative you want to bring to our attention?
1: Which means, as soon as we stop recording, fifteen are going to pop up in my head. It, well,
0: that's the thing, and and I think your point. I've been thinking about this since we were talking. The idea of everybody everybody's unreliable. Every narrator is unreliable. Is it, you know each unreliable in their own way. To paraphrase uh, uh, Tolstoy. But I mean, the idea that that we are as a reader, we are told things by the writer by the author, and some of the things you can believe, and some of the things you can't believe. But it's 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 both incumbent, I think, on the right on the author and the reader. To both have their own agendas.
1: Yeah, but I, and and also, you know, to to go back to things like cuckoo's nest, as we become more aware of things like how the the mind works mm-hmm. and and how the brain works, that we we start to accommodate what we before used to think was just lies and delusions, mm-hmm. and and realize sometimes that's you know that's just. Sometimes the way they see the world or how they tell a story, or we see that, as the reader or the listener, we have to do a little bit more work and get that whatever that truth is. We have
0: to, it's 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 a little bit about paying attention, mm-hmm. um, and, or and doing things intentionally on the author's part, but also paying trying to pay attention to what the what your how you're experiencing this on the page, as opposed to just reading it and absorbing whatever information it happens to be. You have you have to. Um, you have to observe, not just see, as uh, Sherlock Holmes puts it. Isn't
1: that ironic, though, that the pre-literary world knew how to do that? Like in the oral tradition, the the storyteller is always trying to hoodwink you,
0: and the and the listener knows it. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true.
1: And it's, uh, this is one of the things I figured out when I was, you know, reading all these really old narratives that were. Were were written well. they weren't written. They were told to be told aloud. Mm-hmm. That the there are things there are things that your ears may catch that your eyes
0: won't. That's oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's true. And also how you absorb the information. I mean, because because reading is such a, a solitary experience. Mm-hmm. The idea of an oral, uh, uh, you know, being told a story. You and I are are sitting here talking to each other. It's that's essentially what. Storytelling yet, or, or mm-hmm. the oral tradition is. It's, it's a more um, sort of dynamic process, I would think. Mm-hmm. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. And let us know what you think at we read dead people at penguinrandomhouse.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: And you can follow Riverhead Books on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for updates on books by living authors. And we'll have links in the show notes to the books that we've talked about in this episode. So thanks for listening, and go read some dead people. I mean, you can read some live ones too, but, I mean, if you have to.
2: Listening to Marlon and Jake? means my to-read list gets longer every week. Enter Libro.fm. Libro.fm lets me purchase audiobooks directly from my favorite local bookstore. I can pick from more than 185,000 titles, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. I get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But I'm part of a different story, one that supports community. And you can be too. Marlon and Jake Read Dead People listeners can get a special offer two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership. That's two audiobooks for just $14.99 with the code Marlon and Jake. Visit Libro.fm to get started. Now go read some Dead People. Offer only valid for new members in Canada and the US.